Today our, uh, <clears throat> our scripture reading will be in Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13 through 35. Verse 13 starts out, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? One of them named Cleopas, that's just a guess, you can look later, um, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I'm so glad that you're here today in particular because this series that we've been in for a long time now, and I still have a, a few weeks left in, has hit kind of the critical moment. Uh, you know, we've, we've said throughout this series that looks at the Bible from front to back that the Bible tells the most important story ever written, and that Jesus is the subject, and that your life along with all creation hangs in its balance. And when we think of Scripture as, as a story, as a narrative that has a beginning and an end in a sense, a kind of an open ending as we'll find. When we think of it in that way, then we know that every story has kind of a pattern that it follows. A, a rising action usually occurs, and then at some point there's a, a climactic moment, right? A, a moment that everything else in the story hinges around. Jesus is that moment. And uh, Brett, you know, did a great job last week talking about why the life of Jesus matters. I mean, why, did, why didn't God just send His Son have him killed, raise him from the dead, and be done with it. What was with all that living stuff that took place? And, and why does that matter? 
And so if you didn't get a chance to see that, you can go back through our website or Facebook or uh, our podcast and, and catch up on the life of Jesus. I love the illustration, if you were here, of the, you know, the, it's the popular arrows and the tomb and then the more arrows and he's coming back. You know the thing you see on everybody's bumper stickers, right? And uh, car stickers. And, and he was pointing out there's an arrow missing. We have Jesus coming and we have him crucified. But what about in the middle there? There's an arrow missing that's Jesus' life. And what he taught and how he modeled the perfect human life for us. And that's what he invites us into. And today, yes, we, we get to that moment on which everything else hinged. Because even if he had lived that perfect life, you probably would have never heard of Jesus if not for the death and the resurrection in particular of Jesus. Even if Jesus had lived and then died, you probably would have never heard of Jesus. And we're going to explore why. I think that will be super crystal clear today as we look at this story we just read. But first off, uh, have you ever wished that you could have a reset button? You know, just for anything. Uh, when I was dating Julie, I have a way with words. It's not always a good way. And uh, <laughs> it's really kind of amazing that, that God picked me, of all people, to be a preacher because sometimes my words just get all twisted up. So on this particular day, you know when you're dating, you care about everything that the other person's talking about, right? Girls are listening. They're like, oh, he wants to talk about guns or sports. Yes, I'll listen to everything, you know. And then 10 years into marriage, you're like, what happened to that, you know? <laughs> um, and well, and likewise, guys, we listen to all sorts of stuff when we're dating. And, and Julie was telling me about purses. And I was all ears, you know. And she was telling me about what kinds of purses she likes and how she likes bigger purses and they have to slip under her elbow you know she doesn't want it stuck up here somewhere where it's hard to get on and, and so she has rules for her purses and I was trying to say that I had noticed all along that she liked big purses and but I have clever ways of saying this and so uh, you know why say it plain if you can say it fancy and so I was gonna say <clears throat> I could tell right away that you are not a petite purse person because it has P's, you know, and that's fun. That's more fun than saying, I could tell you like big purses. So, I had this plan. The problem is, purse and person are awfully similar words. And so I ended up saying, I could tell right away you were not a petite person. <laughs> Reset. <laughs> you know, that's when you want, do you want to start over? Yes, yes, I would like the reset button on that one. We also definitely, as parents, right, we want a reset button sometimes. And uh, sometimes we do things and we're like, oh my goodness, how are my kids going to survive me? Um, you know, and, and the other day, you know, we've been trying to train our two-year-old son that he can use his words. He's starting to talk, you know, he doesn't have to push or hit or bite if his sister's doing something he doesn't like. He can say, no, Hadley, you know, and so we're trying to work on him. And one day she said something about Peter pushed me or pinched me or bit me or something. And it was just like, man, we are not getting through to this kid. So I was like, I'm going to bring the wrath of daddy. And we're going to get this thing taken care of. And so with, with him, you know, you, you can swat him or whatever. He's like, what, that's all you got? Uh, he doesn't care. So you have to, you know, if I want to get his attention, i got to go big and bold. You know, so I went big and bold. I'm not saying that like that. I just, you got to be loud and abrupt. 
and uh, it gets his attention. So I went all in, man. The wrath of daddy came down. And then Hadley comes along and says, our, our four-year-old daughter, five-year-old now, about to be six. Uh, <laughs> she comes and says, it might have been an accident. <laughs> reset, <laughs> right? If only we had a reset button. Sometimes in life, you even wish for just a life reset button. Because things, sometimes, let's just be real, we don't make the best of choices in life. Other people don't make the best of choices in life. We don't necessarily uh, make the right calls on. Yeah, I mean, how many people have gotten sideways in their marriage and wish that they had a life reset button? Maybe they didn't see that aspect of this person they married, or maybe they've changed, or maybe they've changed. What went wrong? What if we just went back to the beginning and started over? Could this thing go differently? Wish that I had a reset button. Other people, you know, maybe it's a family member. Maybe you're in a blended family situation, and, and sometimes those get complicated, right? With steps and in-laws and all that stuff and sometimes it just gets so toxic and you're stuck in this family right there's no leaving blood is blood but man you wish you could just hit a reset button and maybe if you did something different or they did something different things could go better your life that seems to be falling to pieces maybe something could be salvaged of it if you could just hit a reset button and the story that we read today had two guys, or maybe it was a guy and a gal. We only have one name. Cleopas. We can call him Cleo if you want. He's walking down the road, and I guarantee you they were wishing for a life reset button. Because they were feeling like they had just wasted years of their life. Following a guy who they thought was the Messiah but turned out to be cursed by God. What's interesting is the timeline, and they're very open about it. As the story goes, they're walking down the road, and Jesus comes alongside them, the resurrected Jesus, but they don't know this. There's a theme throughout the Gospels that's very unique. There's you know, if, if you ever hear someone tell you that, oh, there's lots of resurrection stories in ancient history, not like this one. This is entirely unique. It's one of the reasons that we believe it actually happened. But they, Jesus shows up and they don't fully recognize him. Eventually they do, but somehow or another he's a little bit different, or maybe their eyes are a little bit clouded to it, or maybe it's just the disbelief, but he comes alongside them and just says, what's going on? Why are you all so sad? And they said, are you serious? Like, you don't know what's been going on? Are you from outer space, right? Like, how did you not hear? How are you here and you haven't heard about what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? So they begin to tell him the story of what had happened. And they say, what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Now catch this. It's the third day since all this took place. And that's the day that Cleo and his companion decided to head out of town. Like, 
they were there in Jerusalem when Jesus was arrested and tried and murdered and buried. And then they stuck around the next day. And then they chose the third day as their departure day <laughs> to throw up their hands and say, we're out of here. Now in hindsight for us, it's easy to say, probably not the best choice, should have stuck around. But look, it gets worse. They say to Jesus, unbeknownst to them, in addition, some of our women amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <laughs> and yet these guys chose this day to head out of town, dejected and hopeless. Of course, you know, back then, who can believe the testimony of a woman anyway, right? These guys. We've come a little way since then. <laughs> it gets worse. Then, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. Well, what do you know? The women weren't making stuff up. <laughs> Maybe someday, in a few thousand years, we'll start listening to those women. But they did not see Jesus. Alright, so something's going on. But we're so dejected. We're so down about this whole thing. The idea of resurrection is so far out of the picture for us. That we're throwing in the towel today. And we're heading back home. We're done. Now, again, in hindsight, we're like, come on guys. I mean, it's the third day. Didn't Jesus allude to that a few times uh, you know, while he was with you? And, and not only that, I mean, even if you didn't know anything about the third day being a big deal, well, surely the fact that there's something going on with the tomb of Jesus, you'd want to stick around and just check out the mystery. But again, for the Jews of that day, resurrection was off the map. Now, they believed in a resurrection, at the end of the age when all of God's people would be resurrected at one time. But there was no picture in their mind of a Messiah doing that or of anyone doing that pre the end of the age. Okay, so in their minds this was not part of the narrative. It didn't make sense. What they did know is that if you were crucified by a bunch of Romans on one of those ugly crosses like a criminal, then you were cursed by God. That's what they believed. And so, game over. They had placed their hopes in the wrong guy as far as they were concerned. And if the tomb was empty, that meant that things were going from bad to worse. And they were done. They were checking out. But they meet this stranger along the road. And he says to them, How foolish you are. <laughs> And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. Now, when it says beginning with Moses, that's referring to the books of Moses, which are the first five books in the Bible. They're also sometimes called the Torah or the Pentateuch. They're really sacred to the Jewish 
faith. They're the books of the law. They also include the creation account. They're the foundation for the Jewish faith. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So that's where it starts. And then the prophets make up the end of our Old Testament. And that was all the scriptures that they had. Because the rest were being written with their lives in that very moment. And so he, when it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's like bookends, right? He's saying he went through the whole deal, step by step, and explained what it said about him. Jesus, unbeknownst to them, went through the scriptures and explained how he's the subject that they never realized was written across all those pages and he explained it to them how it worked. I wonder if he talked about Israel's exile and their return from exile and how that idea of setting up a nation and being an independent nation again wasn't really their real hope after all but it was so much bigger than that. I wonder if he went back to the prophets both those warnings and those promises and explained what they had to do with his life I wonder if he pulled out in particular Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant, how the Messiah would suffer and bear our sins and shed his blood. I wonder if he went back to the kings that we studied, right? And, and shared with them how the promise of David's line being fulfilled, the, the promise that the Messiah would come from his line had been fulfilled because Jesus was from that line he was in fact the Messiah and maybe he even quoted a psalm of David my God my God why have you forsaken me the very thing that Jesus had spoken from the cross and tied it all together for him I wonder if he went all the way back to Joshua and when the Israelites took the promised land I wonder if he told them that was just a foreshadow of the promised life that the Messiah would bring I wonder if he went back to the Exodus, to the law, if he reminded them of the sacrifices, the blood required to save lives. How did they ever think that the Messiah would save the world without the shedding of blood? wonder if he described Jesus as the Passover lamb. I wonder if he went back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you were with us that week, we talked about that unique covenant where God passed through the halves of these sacrificed animals, taking the curse sanction of the covenant on himself and didn't send Abraham through. God went through. And I wonder if Jesus pointed that out to them and said, Now the Son of God has taken that curse sanction on himself, just as he foretold that he would to Abraham at the very beginning of Israel's history. I wonder if he even went back all the way to creation and to the fall. I wonder if he went all the way back to creation and reminded them of the creation story that they knew like the back of their hand, how God 
created in six days. How he ordered everything perfectly with boundaries and balance and it was working beautifully. And then on the seventh day, how he rested. The Jews lived that pattern every week of their lives. Six days they worked, and on the seventh day they rested. Six days they worked, and on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the Saturday, they rested. And I wonder if Jesus reminded them what day it was. It was the eighth day. On the sixth day, Jesus had said, it is finished. His work was done. On the seventh day, he rested. But on the next day, on the eighth day, on the first day of a brand new week, brand new creation broke forth. Resurrection. That's what it is. It's a new creation. Jesus got a brand new body. And he says that we'll get one too. So his apostles teach us that someday when Jesus returns, all those who are either dead in Christ or alive in Christ will be made like him. Resurrection bodies. But the new creation that Jesus started, as, as they call him the first fruits. If you read in the New Testament, they'll call Jesus the, the firstborn and the first fruit. He's the first fruit of new creation. He's the, he's the start. He's the down payment, if you will. He's the proof that it's coming. The fact that he resurrected from the dead proves that God's new creation is breaking out even now, even as we speak. And since then, for 2,000 years, human beings, regular old people like you and like me, have been having new creation start inside them as they meet this resurrected Jesus and encounter the power of His Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And this is why the Bible tells the most incredible story ever told and how your life and all creation hangs in its balance with Jesus as the subject. Everything in Scripture hinges around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, everything, period, hinges around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the true Christian claim. So let's start arguing, stop arguing with people about politics and science and all that stuff. Have your discussions, that's fine. But let's not pretend that anything else holds a candle to this issue that we are the people who declare that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that new creation is breaking out even now and is available to every single person. And that's why the most electrifying thing to ever happen in history is still yet the most electrifying thing that can happen to you today. It can change your life. It can reshape your life from the inside out. We're not talking about just a new set of moral code that you're going to follow. We're talking about new creation welling up inside you. What we're actually talking about is God hitting the reset button. 
When God created, He ordered it just as it was supposed to be. And He said it was good. He said it was very good. When sin entered the world and humanity began to deviate from the course that He had set and things started breaking down and death entered the world and all that accompanied it, God began a plan. A rescue plan. And God works for whatever reason through ordinary people like you and like me. And when the time was right, through the family of that ordinary Abraham and all the David and all that came through their lineage, he sent his son. And his son modeled how the human life was supposed to look. He taught us how to live. His teachings revolved around this word, love. And his teachings were so much more difficult than the law ever was. Because what he was teaching was not something that he was expecting you to be able to do in your own power. He was looking forward to the moment when God would raise him from the dead and new creation power would be available in your life and in my life to live in a way that the Israelites could have never, even the most disciplined Israelite could never have dreamed as they tried to fulfill the line by line of the law of Moses. What kind of shape is your life in? If you're honest. Do you ever wish that you had a reset button? most incredible news of all is that God has already hit the reset button and that the work is already in progress. It's already underway. I would, just from looking around and listening to the way most Christians talk, most of us, we're not even engaged in the new creation project. We signed up for a ticket to heaven when we die and we didn't know that God was hitting the reset button and that there's an opportunity available now to step into a new way of life doesn't mean that everything's suddenly going to go your way doesn't mean that you won't ever say something stupid that you'll want to hit a reset button on but it does mean that all the stuff going on deep inside of you that leads to behaviors and choices and comments and attitudes and behaviors that, that end up doing harm to others and end up doing harm to you, those things deep down inside you can begin to change by the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside you. So that when that day comes and the resurrection bodies come along, they'll just match what's already going on on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the Christian hope. So God sees you where you're at. He knows what you're dealing with. 
And he wants to hit the reset button on your depression, on your anxiety, on your anger and outbursts, on your lusts and your unhealthy obsessions. He wants to hit the reset button on, on my you know, unhealthy food choices, right? And on your, uh, your laziness and your selfishness and, and my thoughtlessness. And to replace those things, those, the belief systems and the attitudes that lead to those things, to replace that then with things like love. And joy and peace and patience to replace your anger and, and spite that sometimes you have with kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control please hear me I'm going to keep harping on this for a long time probably so We're not talking about new creation in the sense of he's going to fix your behaviors. In the sense that what he cares about is whether you tell a lie this week or whether you lose your temper this week. Resurrection isn't about you dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. It's not about modifying you at the behavioral level. The new creation that he's talking about isn't talking about you leave here today with a fake smile and pretend you're not depressed anymore. That's not the new creation he's going for. The new creation he's going for is deep, deep down inside you. There is more to you than flesh and bone. You have thoughts. I have attitudes. We deal with emotions. And yeah, there's biological chemicals and all kinds of stuff that go along with that, we know from science. But what he wants to change is the way you think about things. What you really believe. What he wants to change is how you feel. What your attitudes are when you wake up in the morning. That's pretty hard to change. Go ahead and try if you want. <laughs> Maybe you've got some superpowers the rest of us don't know about. But that is why Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. To hit the reset button on your life and on mine. And allow new creation to pour out. It's the eighth day. Something new has begun. And you can be a part of it. If you're looking for a reset button in your life and you've never tried Jesus, try him. Place your faith in the only person who made the claims that Jesus made and backed them up by raising from the dead. Because if he's who he says he is, then he's the wisest, smartest person on the planet. He knows more about how you work what makes you tick and what you need 
than any shrink, than any professional, than any scientist, no matter how many human beings they've studied, they've only touched the surface. And he goes deeper. Next week we have a baptism, at least a couple, maybe more. And that's, uh, those are my favorite Sundays. Baptism is a, a beautiful thing. And it's what it's all about. After he resurrected and just before he ascended, Jesus said, Go and make disciples, that is, people who are trying to live this new creation life, and baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded, everything that I've taught you. And so baptism is the first thing that we do. And when we are dipped into that water, it's like we're being buried into Christ's death. Our old life is being crucified with Christ. And when we rise up out of that water, it's like we're being raised into new life, new creation life. Baptism represents the reset button on your life. Something new can begin that day. If you would like to be baptized, or someone in your family would like to be baptized, please let us know as soon as possible this week. And uh, we'd love to include you in our celebration next Sunday. So again, as I close, whatever you're going through, whatever grief you're facing, whatever illness, whatever cancer, whatever addiction, or maybe you've got a loved one dealing with some of that stuff, Place your hope in the resurrected Savior. Through Him, God is hitting the reset button. One day, He's going to return. And we'll say goodbye to death and pain and sorrow and all that stuff. But it starts now in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. We admit our desperate need for forgiveness, for a fresh start. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make us new from the inside out. We pray this according to what Jesus would want us to pray. Amen.